Rob, what have you been watching this week? It's been slightly longer than normal, hasn't it? We've had a few more days, although mm-hmm. I've somehow only managed to sneak in one additional film, Busy Bee. So that was The Old Guard on Netflix with Charlie's Theron. Yeah, you told me you were lukewarm about when we last spoke. The whole premise was based around these people who can live forever. They're immortal. Very, very few of them exist. And they form this almost like small militia group, literally over hundreds, thousands of years or even more. And they're basically there to try and put right the ills of the world. And it's led by Charlie's Theron, based on a graphic novel. And it's quite clear there's going to be more. And I reckon Netflix will be hoping to turn it into some kind of series. I'll be interested to know if Charlie's Theron stays in it. She's the lead character. But although she leads this team, she actually starts to lose some of her mortality, immortality, sorry, towards the end of the film. So we're left with this situation where you're thinking, okay, maybe she'll turn up for the second one because they clearly set it up. It's almost like something out of a Marvel film, the way they set it up at the end. But I thought it was quite curious. I felt like it was close to being something quite interesting, but I felt it just fell a bit short. I think it was trying to make an action film that was just a bit deeper than the normal action film. There were just as many quiet moments as there were action sequences. And the premise that this lead character, Charlie's Theron, this mystery around actually how old she is, which everyone, no one ever seems to know, because it's like she was the first on the scene. Although there is another, there is another. <gasps> Here's right at the end. Yeah, I mean, like, we're led to believe that she literally goes back to the time of the Greek gods. So there is something, I mean, it, it's that when you start talking about it, it sounds absolutely crazy. But Charlie's Theron obviously brings a certain amount of weight to it. Uh, and, you know, and her performance, it's not just her, actually. We've got Chiwetel Ejiofor. He's the only other main character in it or known name, and he ends up basically being this character at the end who's going to lead this bunch of immortals around the world, sweeping their tracks so they can't be traced mm-hmm. to help, yeah, help save the world type thing. So, yeah, there's some weighty performances. Charlie Theron is normally very, very engaging on screen, I find. But I don't know, there was something just lacking a little bit in this. Like I said, it felt like it was trying to do something. That's really- what I felt and just falling a little bit short. Yeah, I felt um, I felt sorry for the baddies in for some, some respects. They kept punching, kicking, shooting. They lie down on the floor, the next minute they get up again. <laughs> it's constant repetitiveness of trying to, to kill, you know, Charlie Theron and this other character as well that was immortal also. I, I, it was great for the action. It was quite funny because after watching that, I think Warrior Nun's advert for that TV series came up shortly afterwards. I was thinking, they're kind of the same thing in some respects. <laughs> Warrior Nun! <laughs> But, um, yeah, I don't know what Netflix are on, but they're coming up with some interesting stuff anyway. They are. That is true. <laughs> and it is, it is starting to become quite interesting. You see a Netflix release with quite a big Hollywood star in it, and it's not yeah. so much a surprise now. You're just interested to know how good it's going to be. Yeah, no, it's good. Right, so who, what are we going to start with? We have The Martian and District 9 this week. Let's go for The Martian. Of course. Oh, I love them. It's my choice. <laughs> 
Your choice. <laughs> it was a great choice. My choice, yeah. So The Martian released in 2015, directed by Ridley Scott, and it's oozing with well-known actors, including Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain, Kristen Wiig, Michael Penner, Jeff Daniel, Sean Bean, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Mackenzie Davis and Kate Morris. It's it's just loads and loads of actors and actresses in this film, which is great. It won two Golden Globes for Best Picture in Comedy or Musical, and Matt Damon also won a Golden Globe for Best Performance in the same category as well. It was nominated for Oscars, Best Picture, Sound Editing, Mixing, Visual Effects, Production, Design, etc., etc., but it didn't get anything, unfortunately, which I think is a real shame. The film starts with the crew of Ares 3 exploring Mars, but then they're hit by a storm which jeopardises their mission, and they need to flee back to earth as they make their way to the spacecraft called the hermes which takes them home a satellite flying in the air hits astronaut and botanist mark watney played by matt damon and he just dis- disappears the crew think he's dead and make a tough decision to leave the planet including watney's body the next day watney emerges with antenna from the satellite embedded in his stomach which looks very horrible. The injured astronaut makes his way back to the shelter and repairs himself. And over the days he's on the planet, he makes logs on what has happened, how he's surviving. Back on Earth, the chief of NASA has already shared with the public about the death of Watney. But NASA analyst called Mindy Park, played by Mackenzie Davis, noticed on day or Sol 52 that there was movement from certain materials near the shelter on Mars, which can only mean Mark Watney is still alive. So Watney tries to communicate with Earth and the NASA team, and they try to find a way to get him home. I'll leave it as that. But the reason why I like this film is because it's it's a serious situation, but there's humour and intelligent decisions made throughout the whole film. And Matt Damon comes across as very smart botanist and astronaut as well. He's entertaining, and the special effects were really impressive. I'd just love to get your thoughts, Rob. I thought it was just the right balance of humour, action and science. You didn't take any of it too seriously. And yet, like you say, because it had this whole scientific element to it with Mark Watney as a botanist trying to figure out how he can survive for literally more than a year, I think, on Mars. And he's basically trying to reconstruct all of the various tools at his disposal that he's left with to try and grow food, which he does. He even uses his own excrement as a Mm -hmm. fertilizer. And the rest of the crews as well. And the rest of the crews to grow potatoes within the kind of the base camp. He, He brings soil in from the outside. He figures out how to um, create this irrigated tent with the soil inside. And so those elements, which do hold up, I remember at the time hearing that a lot of this stuff is based on fact. It is what you can actually do. So from that point of view, it had a bit more weight to it. And yeah, Matt Damon, you don't often see him in roles where he's kind of just like given free reign to let his charisma Mm-hmm. Uh, shine obviously he acted almost the entire film without anybody else around him and given how yeah. difficult if you like and isolating that must be it must be incredibly unusual he does an amazing job at really really hooking you in and you know we've seen him as the action hero 
many a time, but probably less so in more light-hearted comedic roles. He was in, was it Ford versus Ferrari or Le Mans 66 recently? Yeah. Which had a, it had a similar kind of flavor to it, but this was far more comedic. When I say comedic, I don't mean out and out comedy, but as you stated earlier, like has a has real a humorous side to it. The yeah. way he, the way he talks and it, to the camera doing these video logs. And it naturally just comes across as well, doesn't it? Exactly. It doesn't feel staged at all. So I think from that point of view, as a leading man to, to really grab your attention, he's fantastic. It's an amazing supporting cast and they all just look like they're having great fun. I think that's the thing that really came across for me. You shouldn't kind of watch this as a, in any way as a serious commentary on base or you know, any past expeditions or anything too heavily based on the science because at the end of the day, this is just the perfect popcorn movie with a great cast in it. I love Ridley Scott. I'm a complete fanboy of Ridley Scott. And it was so nice to see this film when it came out because... He'd gone through a period of producing, in all honesty, some, some complete stinkers. I mean, obviously known for Alien and Blade Runner and Gladiator and Black Hawk Down and, you know, the list goes on. But then, you know, he's, he's had films such as, you know, The Counselor, Prometheus, you know, one of his various attempts at trying to revive the Alien series which had mixed responses. And then you had Exodus, Gods and Kings, which was pretty awful. So this was a real return to form for him. And you don't often see Ridley Scott working with such a good script. Mm. We all know he's basically this world-building director. He's a visionary. And, you know, you, you see it written all over Alien. You see it written all over Gladiator. He immerses you in these worlds like like nobody else. And you get that, again, how accurate it is. I have no idea, obviously. But the way in which Mars is depicted is beautiful. Well, I mean, it's beautiful when it's beautiful and it's absolutely horrendous, you know, when there's a storm coming that's about to try and uh, wipe out the, the crew. But it looks stunning. But as I say, all of his films tend to look stunning, but often what he's criticised for is the rest of it. It's the actual story and the script and the dialogue. But this was all watertight. It just had everything. So, yeah, I remember when I watched this at the cinema and I just came out of it just thinking, what an awesome film. Just what an awesome film. It wasn't, as I say, nothing too, you know, nothing too strenuous to watch. Just hugely, hugely enjoyable. Yeah. No, it's, it's good when you can just sort of slump in front of the, the, the box or at the cinema and you just let the film just wash over you, which is great. Also, we've already mentioned Matt Damon being an entertainer, but we also had Kristen wig in this film when we've reviewed bridesmaids already and she added some of her personality in, into this film uh plus mr sean bean probably the biggest role outside of game of thrones i know he wasn't in the in that tv series very long because that was in 2011 and this is in 2015 that this film was released um but i haven't really seen him in any big films like this one either and then we've got uh, Mackenzie Davis this must have been one of her first big breaks and she's done Terminator Dark Fate after this Black Mirror and Blade Runner uh, 2049 as well so this was a good launching point I would say it was interesting to see very much the trial and errors that took place throughout the film and how that kind of do not give up attitude and also, you could see when he failed, the team also failed back home in, on, on Earth as well because they were trying to help him out. And they really got that 
that team collaboration feel throughout the film and a lot of problem solving. And, and that's why I said it's, it's quite a intellectual at the same time. Now I've watched this film about four or five times now from big screen to my home TV and I've never really got bored of it. And I can't think of anyone else that could have played these roles really. So that's why it was a big tick for me. Uh, one thing that our listeners might want to do is listen to or watch some of the Aries 3 shorts that are also on YouTube. There's Aries 3 Chem Cam, Farewell, Refocus, and, and there's a couple more. And I, they must have been cut, I believe, from the main film. And they've been put on to, as made of shorts and you can see them now on YouTube. So all good. A couple of things that I have to say, because I, I felt that they brought it down slightly for me. One actually was Sean Bean. I, I, I don't know, I just couldn't get on with his character. I know he was designed to be like the obstacle and the grumpy guy representing the astronauts always butting up against the um, director of NASA, played by Jeff Daniels. But whilst I understood that, I just found him strange. Uh, I found every time the camera's on him, he was putting on some strange, whinging-like face. I don't know what it was. It, it wasn't the fact that it was Sean Bean just being Sean Bean and, you know, using his British accent as he always does. There was just mm-hmm. something I felt strange about it. I just felt like it was, for me anyway, he just felt slightly miscast. And the other thing that just frustrated me in the third act of the film, in the climax, really, when you have this dramatic mission trying to retrieve Watney, and although there are many times, obviously, during the film where you suspend your disbelief, they ended up having this, the whole world watching this mission you know this this typical live broadcast where they cut to different nations around the world looking up at huge big screens and then they actually have the the comms from the spacecraft from the mission itself the mission comms actually basically Uh, going out on the broadcast and although it was a mainstream popcorn movie I just didn't think they needed to do that. And it almost Mm -hmm. felt to me that that was something that didn't belong in the film, but someone decided that we've got to do this. There's the whole storyline of China helping out the Americans. Mm -hmm. Maybe they wanted to create this, this idea of the international community coming together. But the film for me just wasn't cheesy. But this, for me, that part of the film just became too over the top and too cheesy for me. And I was just frustrated by it because I thought if they didn't have that, I thought it would have just been a better Mm. film. No, I think you're right, actually. I remember thinking that as well, that what if something goes wrong? Everybody's in in Times Square watching what's what's happening to Mark Watney. You know, will he make it or will he not? And it could have gone horribly wrong, to be honest. And I, I did say uh, to my partner who I was watching with I said you wouldn't get that on any space launch or anything like that you wouldn't get that number of people watching it people watch it at home or they wouldn't watch come into the Times Square and watch it for example so so yeah I agree with you there and also yes I, I do agree with you about Sean Bean he was the Hermes flight director and I did wonder would they have an English person as the flight director they have obviously we've had um, Tim Peake go up into space, but there was a couple of Germans in it as well. And yeah, I was just kind of like, oh, that was that was interesting that they they put an Englishman as as the flight director. So what are you going to rate it then? If you've knocked it down a little bit with those thoughts, I think I'm going to give it an eight, only because the ending and the Sean Bean thing. I would 
just describe them as just missteps. You know, uh, there was so, mm. the film was just so enjoyable otherwise. And Matt Damon, I mean, if you're looking for just a really fantastic, you know, Hollywood style, leading man, lighthearted, engaging performance, that this is it, it's brilliant. So, so because everything else is so right about it, I, I'm going to forgive it those two elements. And for me, like I said before, just great mainstream popcorn cinema. Yeah, I really enjoy watching it each time and, and I'd be quite happy to watch it again. Eight and a half for me. I've taken note of your, your comments at the end and yeah, I was going to give it nine, but yeah, eight and a half overall. Lovely jubbly. And, nice. and also that film was, I've only just looking at it now, the film was two hours 24, but it, it didn't really drag for me. It didn't felt massively baggy. So No, the next film was a little bit shorter. So that was District 9. District Nine, that's right, and this was this was off my list. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is actually a connection here between District Nine and The Martian, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. So this is this was a film released in two thousand and ten, directed by Neil Blomkamp, written by Neil Blomkamp and Terry Tatchell, and it was adapted from a short film called Alive in Joburg that Blomkamp. Uh, made and one of the producers on this film was Peter Jackson from Lord of the Rings fame as well it was nominated for four Oscars which I must admit I didn't realize um, that it got that much kudos which is good to see it's an incredibly unique film it's got this real documentary drama action kind of aesthetic to it so the film set in Johannesburg in 1982 you have a huge extraterrestrial spaceship that arrives and hovers over the city and when we watch the film when the film starts you see the events of it arriving but then really we move forward almost 20 years I mean the ship hovers over the city for that period of time so the main storyline is you know is a lot further on when this has become a norm and we have an investigation team that finds over a million malnourished aliens on board this ship when it arrives and they get relocated by the government to a camp called district nine and this district over a period of time turns into a slum and you get this unrest between the locals and the aliens and these aliens i mean they're given this derogatory name prawns and you know that's not to suggest that they're they're brawn like but they they have this really clicky way of talking. Yeah, they're kind of these kind of tall, gangly looking creatures that they almost feel like they're a combination of other aliens you've seen depicted in other films, really. They're quite human-like, obviously, and they speak in their own language. But as I say, they are slowly seen as these kind of dirty, ignorant lawbreakers who lead resources from the country and this company MNU which is a big weapons manufacturer is brought in by the government to move them to a new camp outside the city Um, leading this task force is this unlikely character Vickers van der Meer played by Shalto Copley who had never acted before prior to this film Um, he's given the role really because his father-in-law is an executive of the company this guy Vickers, he's quite a. Let's just say he's quite. He's of quite a nervous disposition, and you can't really possibly see how he's managed to get this role. Although, full marks for effort. He's someone who's desperately trying to make a name for himself, get the job done. 
whilst you almost feel he's kind of constantly flailing around. Anyway, we have these three aliens or prawns that are called Christopher Johnson, his son, and a friend, Paul. It's quite funny, I think, that they've got normal names. And over all of the period of time that they've been in the slums, they've been slowly collecting these, these um, mysterious alien fuel. And they're secretly trying to collect this fuel as a way of trying to get off, well, get out, get out of District 9 and back up to the ship. But you don't really kind of quite understand how this is happening. They have this makeshift lab in their shack that they try and kind of keep hidden. So when Vickers and his team comes to their shack to serve them notice, basically evict them to move them to this uh, camp outside the city, they come across the lab and this massive weaponry. And obviously they're completely, they're all over them and intrigued as what it is. And in this foray that ensues, Vickers gets sprayed with some of this alien fuel. And he realizes that he's contracted this mysterious virus that slowly kicks in. And yeah, the result is that his DNA starts to alter to alien DNA. And he finds himself having no choice but to go on the run. And the only place that he's really safe is actually, ironically, in the slums in District 9. I'll leave it there as a, as a setup. Yeah, for, for me, this just felt like a bad dream from start to finish, uh, totally unique um, and hugely enjoyable. Yeah, this is my second time actually watching this. And the first time I would say I, I may not have got on with it because it was just so different because it was set up like as a documentary. But there were some scenes that were like, you know, normal cinematic film. But majority was was documentary. So I think I found it strange adjusting to that. Whereas I knew for the second time I watched it, I knew that was coming. And I think I liked it a bit more, to be honest. And what on earth are they putting in their alien fuel if they if it makes people turn into an alien? Therefore, we don't have our fuel that makes us, you know, if we give it to a dog, for example, they start turning into a human. So <laughs> it's a very bizarre concept. So, yeah, we're kind of following a Vickers uh, van der Meer, and I kind of felt a bit sorry for him, really. He was... He, he was slightly nervous when he was being interviewed on, on the documentary, very, trying to be very factual. It was a little bit annoying on occasions. But he once he had this canister that opened and he started to turn into an alien, he just wanted to carry on as normal. He just didn't understand it, obviously, which nobody would. And he was also wanting to be with his wife and he couldn't be with his wife. So I was just like, oh, bless you. And he's saying, I'll come and meet you and, and well, this will be okay. And he was reassuring her and, and fortunately, yeah, it turns for the worse, unfortunately. There's something very human about the aliens as well, how they react. I feel they were getting treated very unfairly and I think there was a very much a... The topic was really on racial tension, really, but they changed it to aliens to represent the difference in races in, in Johannesburg. And it was just a different way of presenting that, but it did make you think differently how some people are treated. And there's a lot of things going on about Black Lives Matter at the moment. And I felt actually this film kind of resonates with that as well. Yeah, well, it's um, it's quite clear when you watch it mm. straight away. Thematically, it's got tones of racism and xenophobia yeah. all over yeah. it. And yeah. it was, you know, the film was inspired by Blomkamp's childhood in South Africa during mm. apartheid. So, you know, they make no, you know, it makes no bones about the fact that it's in, you know, it's inspired by historical events during the apartheid, mm. particularly 
to an area of the city that's called District 6, which is this inner city residential area in Cape Town that, that was kind of declared a whites-only area in 66, and basically 60,000 people were removed to this, this other area. And other apparently other, other episodes as well, post-apartheid. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's as clear as day. And like you say... Yeah, because I don't know, just given the state of the world at the moment, it, it feels like it has something really important to say amid, amidst yeah. all of the anarchy and, and alien-like fun that there is to be had with the film. Yeah. I mean, carrying on with how I felt a bit sorry for this guy that's um, been exposed to this liquid now and then he's, he's changing into an alien. When he goes to the doctors because his body's changing and he doesn't know what's going on and actually it was kind of a discovery because his arm was hurting so much and it's when they wrapped his arm that was must have been broken or, or sprained at some point. That's when this alien hand comes, comes out and then he gets whisked away by the authorities and, and they start testing on him, testing out alien guns and, and weaponry and testing because one side of his body was alien, the other side of the body was human. So, yeah, it was real cruelty. But there was another group that were part of this. There was a group of, uh, are they Nigerians, I think? And they were trying to, it's almost like a fight over the sort of shanty town area or the slums. And there was between the aliens and all this, also this gang of Nigerians that were almost like cannibals in some respects, but more against the, the aliens. They were sort of eating alien body parts to make them feel like more superior and see whether they can get their powers or something like that, which was very odd. And they were a bit of a gangster gang going on and, and stealing weapons. And we have the main character who's transforming into this alien. He needs to, he wants to try and cure himself. So he's doing anything, everything he can to try and get himself back to normal. So he gets supports these two aliens who are trying to launch this underground spaceship back to their home. And they said, oh, we can cure you if you can get these weapons and this and that. And he was desperate to make a difference. And you can feel his frustration throughout the film as well. I think you're right. It was uh, Charlto's Copley's first film. And how he got this film was interesting. And he was Bloomcamp's high school friend and he didn't really plan on having an acting career at all. He Bloomcamp obviously knew him well and he knew that he could do some acting and kind of brought him into this role. So good on him and it's made a huge difference for Copley because he's now gone on to do Elysium, he did Chappie and he's also been Murdoch and the A-Team and he's done Maleficent so he's done some great films going forward and real probably made a big difference to his life. I don't know what he would have planning to do before but certainly his mate Bloom Campus has helped his life. Filming locations, Wellington, New Zealand, I guess that's the connection with Peter Jackson because he's from there and a Johannesburg and it's kind of the reason why Peter Jackson is the producer for this is because Blomkamp, he was about to make a feature length movie for Halo, Halo Combat Evolved, but it didn't actually get made in the end. But Peter Jackson obviously liked what he saw. So he gave him 30 million to make whatever he wanted, basically, to do this film. And we go from 30 million budget that Blomkamp had to making a film that was worth in worldwide grossed 210 million, which is incredible because some of these massive big blockbusters make around that much. But it was banned from Nigeria because Nigerians in the film, which I just spoke about, 
were portrayed as gangsters and cannibals and they didn't like that scene. I'm not sure how much the Nigerian population or the people going to the cinema from there would have made to that number anyway for the worldwide gross, but it was interesting where it, where it gets banned as well. As Rob, you already said, it was nominated for four Oscars, Best Picture, Visual Effects and Screenplay and Film Editing, but it lost out to Avatar and Hurt Locker. So a real shame there, but they were quite strong films. Those ones were also. And then, yeah, as I said, I preferred it the second time around. I think I knew what I was expecting. I enjoyed the acting and the originality much more. So, yeah, do you want to make a few comments before I give it a rating? Yeah, there were a few things that I was quite interested to to find out. I was quite interested mm. in this word prawn, for example. And it turns out that that's a reference to the Parktown prawn, which is a king cricket species considered a pest in South Africa. So again, just a very kind of colloquial play on words. And I think that it did feel very local to the environment, didn't it? To, to South mm. Africa. Yeah, the yeah. language as well. The language, they, yeah, they, they speak yeah. Afrikaans and the themes in it. It wasn't a well-known cast, the main lead, and never acted in a film before. And so, as you say, it just had that real originality about it. The way the film opens is very much like a documentary. What it is, is it opens almost as a documentary to, to set the whole story up. And even then, you get these asides to camera down the lens. So it, it continues in that way, you know, interspersed with more of an action film. I just thought that was quite unique. And I love the fact that, as you say, Jackson basically said, look, you know, you've got to this point developing this Halo Combat Evolved. Just Let's just go and make this film. I think they were working on a lot of special effects for that. They didn't get to use it. So a lot of it kind of went into mm-hmm. this. And there were some very interesting ways, quite inventive ways and revolutionary ways in which the special effects are done here. The whole use of 360 degree cameras around the alien characters that I watched a bit of in some of the behind the scenes films which i recommend watching it feels almost like a labor of love because it it's so specific to to blomkamp and obviously being adapted from his short film which i must admit i I feel like i should have watched i was also interested to find out afterwards that main character he does come across as this slightly clueless bumbling employee with a heart of gold but still with these slightly flawed characteristics. And what I found interesting when reading up on this is that they deliberately gave him the surname uh, Von der Meur. You have to excuse my uh, pronunciation. But the reason he was given that name is because it's an incredibly common name in South Africa to the point where they actually make jokes about people with that surname. And it's almost representative of you know, a bumbling, oblivious incompetent Africana. So they deliberately work that in as a way of accentuating, mm. you know, uh, again, another link, you know, with the local culture. Yeah, being in a documentary, you don't want it polished. You don't want a polished person presenting. You kind of want that bit of nervousness and you're looking at his everyday life, really. It's a bit like watching, like, I don't know, road cops or traffic cops or whatever it's called, and you just see the person as they are. They're not polished or anything. So I think how he played it was the right way to play it. Yeah, and I think the fact maybe he hadn't acted before probably helped as well. 
Um, the biggest thing, to be honest, the takeaway for me from this film, although it was, yeah, incredibly unique, you haven't really seen anything like this before, it is relentless from start to finish. It reminded me a bit of Uncut Gems that I watched not long ago with Adam Sandler. It feels like an, an anxiety attack from start to finish. It's a horrible environment. The way they depict the slums is just disgusting. It's this seething, horrible mess of... Like you say, like you get these gangster-like characters eating raw mm. flesh. You know, you get these aliens who are addicted to cat food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we see him eating cat food as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. This is something one of the producers of the film used to use cat food when he went out fishing. And that's the reason cat food was put in, is this cheap commodity food that the aliens can't get enough of. You have the whole metamorphosis of Vickers' arm turning alien and slowly the rest of his body. His and teeth he's, falling out. His as teeth well. falling out, his nails. Oh. And, the you know, you lit this poor guy. He's It's like a race against time to try and sort himself out whilst basically he's losing his wife. He's having to find himself, having to almost like live like an alien. And from start to finish, it just has you completely on edge. I'm not saying that that's... It's a turn off, but it is quite um, gory in a way. Not like a horror gory, but it's just disgusting and messy and, and horrible. And, and as I say, this poor guy, like, oh, what would you, yeah. you know, what the hell would you do? He turns into a character you kind of dislike in one period because he does this deal, if you like, or has this arrangement with the aliens whereby, yes, if I help you with this alien fuel to get back to your mothership, they will help cure him. But as soon as as soon as he realizes it's not necessarily as straightforward as that, there's a period where you feel like he he's only thinking about himself. Luckily, there is a redemption towards the end of the film. But so uh, you really you really feel for this guy. You live the whole film on his shoulder. And yeah, I, I, as I say, I think for me that's probably one of the biggest takeaways. It's just incredibly stressful to watch. <laughs> it was, but. It's stressful to watch, but I enjoyed it this time, <laughs> strangely. And it was a bit gory. I had to turn my head away when his nails were falling off and things like that. I just don't like that. You know when you have one of those dreams, like, you know, like those anxiety yeah. when you fall out or something? It's basically like yeah. watching that for like whatever it is, mm. an hour and 40 mm. minutes. Mm. It's an incredibly horrible, bad dream, but very, very yeah. engaging and enjoyable. Yeah. When you announced the name last week, I was like, mm, okay, I'm going to watch it. And I put it off watching it for a while, but actually I was really surprised. So, And before you give it a rating, the connection is that the lead character played by Shalto Copley is also one of the lead characters in Elysium, which yeah. stars Matt Damon. Yeah, I actually thought that was the, the next follow on. Yes. It's a similar setup because they still have that ship, don't they, above Johannesburg, to my understanding. That's right. And it's a bit of a companion piece because there's actually references to District 9 in the film Chappie yeah. because, like you say, it's filmed in the same area and features. Yeah. Uh, actually, let me just look up, see how much the budget is from this year because I bet you it's more because it comes across as more. Let me have a look. Lyceum, which was released in 2013. The budget was way more, $115 million, and they grossed worldwide only a little bit more than what District 9 grossed. It grossed worldwide $286 million. So that's really interesting. You should yeah, have spent less and, and had a different character than Matt Damon, probably. He probably cost, took, took up most of that budget. 
<laughs> well, I, I mean, like in some ways that uh, you often see this, don't you? That, you know, sometimes, mm. sometimes the appeal of a low budget film is exactly that. It's, it's, it's how they manage to mm. make it on such a small budget. And sometimes it comes across. And if you then throw money at it and turn it into yeah. something that's not, it's not going to yeah. do this, not necessarily going to have the same effect. They had two big stars, actually, Matt Damon and Jodie Foster in Elysium. So oh, was it Jodie Foster? Yeah, I, thought I, was, it was, I was thinking, I was Kate Winslet, I was thinking. I, no, thought it was, I thought it was Sigourney Weaver, so we yeah. were both wrong. <laughs> yeah, sci-fi, sci-fi lady, Sigourney Weaver, no, it's, it's Jodie Foster. Anyway, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought I would give it a lower score, but I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10, I think. Really surprised myself. I'm going to give it 8 again, yeah. I think, as I said before, it's very, it's just so unique and different, isn't it? I'd recommend it anyone, is. I'd recommend anyone uh, to give this a go. Mm. Um, and even a, if you watched it the first time and didn't like it, watch it again, because that's my perception has completely changed watching it the second time. Right, so what are we on to now? We are on to this week's reviews of... I am going to pick Crime... Crime, crime, crime. So, I have 20 crimes on my list. Oh, you've been watching lots of Neighbours and Home and Away. Well, that was supposed to be my <laughs> South African accent. And you've just <laughs> said, have you just said that it's now Australian? I, it. <laughs> I do tend to eventually veer into Jamaican uh, eventually. But anyway. All right. I thought you were talking Scottish at the first and then you went Oh, into... my God. I mean, the insults <laughs> just keep flying. Right. Okay. So I've got 20 on crime. Uh, I will pick number two, please. Number two is Crash. All right. Great. Yep. Cool. I haven't seen that for a while. I've seen it once before on DVD, I think. I don't remember half these characters that were even in it. Okay. So Crash is from 2004. Los Angeles citizens with vastly separate lives collide in interweaving stories of race, loss, and redemption. And you can rent Crash on Amazon, Apple TV, Google Play, Microsoft, YouTube, or you can buy it off the uh, same platforms, mm-hmm. including Sky Store. Sounds good. And actually, check your channels that you do have, if you've got Sky Cinema or Amazon and netflix for example because sometimes you may find that they suddenly appear when you watch them the following week from when we've done this podcast because last week district nine we mentioned was on netflix and it was actually on sky cinema yeah absolutely i mean we give the details as they are when the podcast goes out but yeah obviously sometimes they get moved off these streaming services yeah and just before we move on to the next film um, Crash stars Matt Dillon, Sandra Bullock, and Don Cheadle. And Tandy Newton, And Tandy Newton. Good, good. So what genre are you going for this week, Rob? I'm going to go for fantasy. Fantasy. I have very few fantasies. I've got three. <laughs> you've got very few fantasies. It's like you've, been, you've, got a, you've had a lot of crimes, but you've had very few fantasies. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So how many? Three. Three. Oh, my Lord. Three. I know. I don't know why I've got so little. So I'm going to go for number three. Oh, brilliant choice, actually. I was hoping you would go for that one. It is Zombieland. Oh, that's amazing. And- and it's uh, 2009, it's got Jesse Eisenberg, 
Emma Stone and Woody Harrelson. Well, it's I really a sci-fi like... comedy and fantasy, according to IMDb. So, Zombieland, a shy student trying to reach his family in Ohio, a gun-toting tough guy trying to find the last Twinkie, and a pair of sisters trying to get to an amusement park, join forces to travel across a zombie-filled America. This is a lot of fun, isn't it? This it is from a lot memory, of fun. From memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to this, actually. And it's a great little uh, performance by Bill Murray in this, if I remember right. Yeah. But can, it's streaming on Now TV and Sky Go. Uh, you can rent it off Rakuten TV, and you can also buy it as well. I'm sure you'll find it on Amazon Prime and Apple TV, Microsoft, etc., to rent also. All that lovely looking stuff. Looking forward to that. A, a nice mixed this week. Both very different films, aren't they? One's a far, mm. far more serious tone crashes compared to yeah. Zombieland. Yeah. Right, yeah. so we're in the summer very holidays good. now. So you do, have you got any holidays coming up, Sarah? Uh, no. <laughs> well, oh. I might take, a, might take a few days off at the end of August. Yeah, what about you? Well, I'm going camping. Camping? I'm going camping a few days after our next podcast. So, yeah. Like carry on camping? I hope so. If it's like carry-on camping, it's going to be a lot better than I had imagined. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that where Barbara Windsor's bra just flies off and she does I mean, that's stuff. not necessarily what I was thinking about, Sarah. That's obviously come straight, into, only, your, it's come straight into your mind. That's the only bit of scene I can remember. It's going to be a camping trip with innuendo every two or three minutes. That's exactly right. Just the kind of family camping trip that anyone would want. Uh, anyway... Great right. films this week. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much again, Rob, for all your factoids. And we'll see you next week, everyone. Lovely stuff. Have a good week. See you next time. Bye. Bye.